Hey friends, thanks for tuning in to the Church Planner Podcast. Before we started today, wanted to tell you about a really special opportunity. Our friends at the Micro Church Conference put on by Brave Future, um, happening April 18th through the 20th in Kansas City. This is for all of you who are wondering what is a new kind of paradigm for missional church planting and church multiplication through smaller expressions of church, what they call rediscovering the smaller way. It's happening April 18th through the 20th. Kansas City is being hosted by Kansas City Underground. It's going to be a great weekend. And they've given us four free registrations to give away. Normally the price is $90, but we will get you into the conference for free. We have four of those. What you can do to enter is go on our Instagram at Church Planter Podcast. And there you'll find um, a, a DM button. Click that DM button. Send us a DM with your email on it and your name and where you serve. So email, name, where you serve, and you'll be entered to win one of four micro church conference registrations. You just get yourself to Kansas City and uh, you can be there and learn a ton from our friends at Brave Futures. Hope you enjoy the show today. Sir, the possibility of successfully navigating an asteroid field is approximately 3,720 to 1. Never tell me the odds. I'm Pete Mitchell. He's Peyton Jones. And this is the Church Planner Podcast. Well, hey, Church Planner. Welcome to the Church Planner Podcast. This is Peyton Jones, and I am not flying solo today because I have uh, two people on the show. They are like the dynamic duo of <laughs> all things organic training. Um, I am geeking out. If you were to ask me right now, what are you geeking out on? Right, That's a great interview question. I'm not being interviewed. We're going to interview them because I am geeking out on their books. Um, I would say they're becoming friends. I would say in many ways, we <laughs> may become uh, partners. They don't know this, but um, and nothing official, just just gospel partners, people that respect each yeah. other, Amen. work alongside each other. But uh, my guests are Dr. Tom Johnson and Mike Chong Perkinson. They are the order or the authors, sorry. Uh, they're of the order of the Secret Lodge <laughs> of Organic Training. Um, oh, no, great. they... That's they great. are the authors of Kingdom Quest, Preparing to Church Plant in the Post-Christian West, and The Organic Reformation, A New Hope for the Church in the West. They run the Praxis Network, um, and they do church planner training. They uh, Their organic process and system, the only church planner assessment I never failed, um, was run by <laughs> Mike Chong Perkinson uh, of late. And I have just been getting to know these two. And as I'm working at developing some of New Breed's training, um, I am currently, you have to know this, I am currently on my third read-through in a year of the same book, which I mention it, it's Organic Reformation and New Hope for the Church in the West. It's absolutely mind-blowing. Um, it digs in, well, I, I'm I'm gonna stop there because I'm I, I told you I was geeking out. I warned you, but guys, welcome to the show. Oh, it's great to be with you, Peyton. As long as I get to be Batman. So <laughs> no, I was already I, I yeah, you had to claim dibs, but dude, I am not gonna be your sidekick ever. 
<laughs> it only I, I, leaves, I don't look good in tights, man. <laughs> it only leaves Alfred, Batgirl, and Batmite. And I think I want to tag Batmite. I'll be Batmite yep. any day. I love it. I love it. <laughs> but great to have you guys on here. You know, um, just a, a, I would love people, you know, I've mentioned some of what you guys do, and we're going to dig into that because it really is unique um, in the church planning world. I, I remember reading the organic reformation and, and the first time through, I'm like, Oh my gosh, if I had found this book back then, because I think that the missional conversation went a certain way. And there were always points at which I was like, okay, that's good. I don't know if you guys ever saw that movie shock a lot where uh, Johnny Depp's in it. And she keeps trying to find his chocolate of choice. And he, he says, that's good. But it's not my favorite. Right. Like I feel, I feel like with the missional movement, that's how I was until I took a bite of your, uh, chocolate book. Um, <laughs> and I was like, man, if I had found these guys, you would have found me knocking on your door, being Batmite. You know, I, I would have gladly been Robin. I'd be like, I wear tights of any color. Just let me learn under you guys. Um, that, that's how I felt. And even now going through, like I'm, writing discipleship stuff coming up and you guys have this Jesus rabbinical stuff this just set my heart on fire. So first a little bit about you so I can shut up and stop geeking out on you. What tell me a little bit of your guys story uh each one of you. So uh who I don't know who goes first Batman Robin I don't know. Uh go for it Tom. Yeah, so um I am a repeat offender when it comes to church planting. My wife and I uh, planted uh, four churches and sent out uh, eight more um, out of those churches and uh, one foreign mission team to Russia, permanent mission team. Uh, currently, I'm pastoring a church that I did not not plant. It's the first one that was kind of a revitalization revitalization work, but We've been planting out of this church. Now we're also, uh, one of my church plants was a house church network uh, plant. And so now we've got a hybrid thing going on where I have some house churches that we're, we're establishing that are in other states uh, than where my church is. So we uh, we're kind of doing some, some things like that that are kind of asymmetric. It's all organic wherever it's Wherever it's happening, wherever Jesus is doing it, we just want to come around it and and help it grow and you know water it and plant it. And uh, so, you know, I've been involved in church planting from day one. My first pastorate was a church plant I was sent out to. I came out of a Hope Chapel, which uh, I know you're familiar with, uh, Peyton, with Ralph Moore. Ralph Moore is like my spiritual grandfather, and so I have a lot of that DNA in. Uh, so we've always had to focus on multiplying. And uh, then about 20 years ago, Mike and I uh, uh, got launched out uh, by Dr. Bob Logan into uh, Praxis Center for Church Development and uh, thought we'd just help a few planters. And since then, we've been playing uh, catch up with Jesus, just trying to trying to stay up with him and what he's doing. That's awesome. Well, it, it's funny because I mentioned to Ralph Moore that I um, that I had met you, uh, Tom, and he lit up like a Christmas tree and was like, oh, and he said, let me tell you something. He won't tell you. And he started bragging on you, which was kind of neat. 
And then um, uh, you sent me uh, Ralph's book, Let Go of the Ring. It's got a picture of you in there. So you were like one of his boys, you know, like you were you were one of his uh, uh, you were in that network, I guess. Yeah. Right? And I'll like, admit it in public. So, I mean, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so when you hear of these like people out there that, you know, were, were direct descendants, the legendary descendants, um, you know, this stuff you guys were doing in New Hampshire, man, that is no easy mission field. I mean, that you might as well be in Europe, man, trying to plan up there. But uh, yeah, New Hampshire is the least church state in the nation. So I call it a target rich environment. So let's plant one <laughs> church. That's awesome. That's a church planning spirit. All right, Mike. Yeah. Well, I just get to tag along and ride on Tom's coattails. So <laughs> I've been doing this ministry thing for, I'm an old dude now. So 43 years and and uh, we uh, we planted out in 1987 in Orange County in Newport Beach. And uh, that was back in the day, Peyton, when I thought I knew everything and uh, and really had understood all the discipleship stuff. We launched out 11 house churches way back before that was kind of the thing, because we kind of thought that Jesus did this thing in the book of Acts. And we closed 10 of them after the first year because we didn't think it through very well. And and then started planting churches. I've been involved in tons of plants and out of our churches, uh, planted four times myself. Uh, my wife has been really kind to stick around with me 40 years now. And, uh, and my goodness, I, uh, you know, I always think of Jonah Peyton where, you know, he had one whale that swallowed him up and I'm a, I'm a little bit of a bonehead and I've, I've got a PhD in buffoonery. So I, I think I'm on my seventh whale or something. I, God's had to rescue me multiple times because I have a forehead like Flint and, and it's taken me a while to figure things out. But uh, so uh, I'm on my ninth place, uh, one youth pastorate, four church plants and four church revitalizations. So wow, um, God has saw fit to move us around for some reason that I have not always preferred. But, uh, but yeah, like Tom said, we got involved with Praxis uh, years ago as uh, Dr. Bob Logan kind of helped launch us and get us going. And uh we started just as church plant guys. Uh, God had mm. to help us a little bit understand that there was a whole nother segment of the church called uh, revitalized church and churches need to be revitalized. We we didn't think much about that back then and God had to work on our hearts a little bit. So so it's been a joy to do praxis and with Tom, it's been a lot of fun. We It's always fun to, 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 to have brothers and sisters who are just as crazy as you are doing the Jesus thing. And, and Tom and I don't feel all that smart. We just kind of stole everything from Jesus. So yeah, we just, we just have a gift for the obvious. We just kind of read our Bible and thought hmm. there it is. And then we just thought maybe we should try that. So, well, this, this is kind of why I've hitched to you guys is it, when I started training and seeing like a transformational training in the room taking place, just through looking at some adult learning theory under Mac Lake, I started wondering how much of this stuff did Jesus do? Yeah. And I started leaning into that and, and working through the gospel, studying Jesus as a trainer. And when I came to um, meeting you guys and when Mike first said, oh, I've really uh, I've leaned, leaned in. I was just starting to unpack Jesus as a rabbi. I hadn't really even started looking into it, just knowing I needed to. And that's when... I met you guys. This is the thing. Uh, I decided um, you guys are like 20 years down the road on your like deep study of Jesus as a rabbi, like as a disciple maker, as all that. So um, for me, I was like, okay, I give up. 
I'm just gonna I'm just gonna learn from these two guys because they're making it's all packaged, it's all there, it's all simple, it's easy, and they've built it from a church planning context. So for for our listeners, they're like, Peyton, what in the heck are you talking about? Um, what what kind of tell us about um because I watched your 20-year video recently when you guys are like, hey, we've been doing this 20 years now. Um, and and you were looking back on how you got um, captivated by Jesus as a rabbi. How did that happen? Can you share that with our listeners? Yeah, we um, we had been working with Bob Logan on some projects, and we kind of uh, he he roped us into a project, <laughs> and we were kind of looking at it and say, yeah, that's that's really cool. That's a that's a car with with new accessories and we want to build an airplane. So we really want to go a different route with it. And, and so we went, we went back actually to my house here in New Hampshire and we, we sat down, we spent a week at my dining room table and we just kept rereading the gospels and working through stuff. And we realized, you know, all the time when we look at church planting and, and in training and disciple making, we always look at Paul and, uh but really, like Jesus was the first church planner, and he's the one who's still planning the churches. He's just doing it through us. Jesus said he would build his church. And so, you know, Mike said, we we look at Jesus for the way of salvation. We look at him for healing and wholeness, but we don't really look at him for how to do ministry. And so we we realized that that it really struck us. And then we start to think about, and we are we always had the the thing going on in our heart where we knew there was there was something missing that we were trying to, um, you know, we're trying to make some things fit because of what we've been trained in culturally. And we're realizing there's something missing here. We're, we're missing something. And so the more we looked at Jesus, we were, the more we realized the organic nature of what he did and the relationships and, and how he formed, you know, what we came to understand as his midrash, right? His discipleship community, and how that he lived life and that life became the curriculum for discipleship and leader development. And so when we started down that journey, we just went deep. It, it's like Jesus sucked us all the way in. There was no escaping that. It was it was like a black hole of, of meaning and purpose. He just sucked us right in. And we never escaped that. In fact, you know, I went so deep on it that my, uh, my PhD work totally wrapped around Jesus's uh, an adult educator of leaders. And what did that look like? And, you know, for me, I had the grace of having my doctoral mentor be from India and lived in India and was the main, one of the premier educators in South Central Asia. And what he talked to me about in the first hour I ever met him was everything that Mike and I were were discovering. And so the Lord just opened up the opportunity to go deep and learn about how most of the world learns, which is not the way we learn in the West. And and the way that most of the world learns drives them to be able to actually do something that's productive, as opposed to just have a knowledge base about something. So that's kind of how it started. Uh, and and we've been just running down that that rabbit hole ever since. Yeah, those uh, those early days, Peyton, were uh, were phenomenal. I, I had a rudimentary understanding of the Jesus process, and we always like to playfully say that you know Jesus was you know pretty good at disciple making. He he did okay at leader development. Started a small movement that's still doing okay today. So maybe maybe the answers the 
uh, you know, the process lies in Christ. Uh, and so my my rudimentary understanding goes back to my very first church in 1987. We actually named it Disciples Church. That's all we did. We had a we created a three year process. We formed around the three, twelve, and seventy, uh, trying to think through how do you how do you create these bands of people, um, and and hadn't hadn't done the deep dive work that Tom had referenced at his table where we took a a really strong look at at our Messiah and and his pathway and process and and it shaped everything we, we did. We just realized so many things about his incarnational relational way of fostering community and uh, and and doing life together. And as Tom said, uh, you know, life is then the curriculum. And we probably should define how we understand organic just so that people can get the right definition. That's <laughs> we always joke, joke that there's lots of them out there, but we have the right one. Uh, but we just we just take it from uh, <laughs> of course, I'm saying that in humility, um, but uh, <laughs> just from the, the Greek word bios, it's just life on life. It's Second Corinthians one, the comfort I received, I give that we ought to be given away the Jesus that we've received not the not the ministerial process that we've been trained in as good as that might be but the life of Jesus that's in us as we incarnate and flesh that out amongst our disciples and communities that's so good um you know i want to i want to lean in cuz i know we'll we'll come back to the organic way one of the things that i i didn't mention at the beginning um i did say that it was the only church planner assessment I'd ever passed, um, only because I failed two online church planner assessments, because they're looking for a certain type of leader that doesn't actually exist. You can fake that. But uh, Mike, um, Mike and I are free Methodists. And so can I can I tell that? Can I let that out of the bag? Is you that just I supposed to say that? <laughs> um, but but for those of you that don't know, you know, the the I went through an assessment because I'm planting a church and this thing was like, it was like walking into, I, I don't even know how to put it, but it was just the Holy spirit. Like I just felt right. like it was walking into, you know, surgery, open heart surgery. And it was more that I was being poured into. And I think a lot of planters, we, Mike and I were in a think tank this week, just, um talking about church planning where the younger generation of planners are starting to realize that they're often getting used by networks or denominations um i would say the free methodist definitely does not have that approach to planners there's a there's very much this consistent let's pour into you you know like you're you're let's let's in the organic way that you guys advocate that you've discovered came from jesus right who poured into 12 people for three yeah. years. Right. Um, can you tell us a little bit about what the organic process is that Praxis is based on? Well, you know, that that assessment, um, Peyton, that you know, Tom and I had the privilege of creating that. I think we spent a few days in uh, one of the God, most godly places in the United States, Las Vegas. And uh, <laughs> we, uh, we, we were doing a training. Mike and, said we were there for fundraising. Yeah, we another target rich environment, right, Tom? <laughs> Very target rich, and and God gave us uh, a couple of tools that uh, quantum for church planning. It's an assessment, and then quest for current pastors that we were we were assessing around the um, the irreducible course. What we call it: love God, love others, and as you live life, make disciples. Hmm. Um, and so we, we began to realize 
early on that uh, in our Western approach, it, it's much more transactional and franchised. And and it, and it, and and yes, the church has a lot of business-like processes, but it's much more of how do we get the right people to franchise our our particular brand and move this out. And of course, Jesus is in it, and and people will get saved because God's amazing. But it doesn't always do justice to the Jesus that's in a person. And so we ended up creating a process that is principle-driven, non-model specific, that centers around Galatians 4.19, because Paul is a rabbi, um, and uh, mm. that where it says that I'm in birth pangs till Christ is formed in you. And, and if, if we're doing true organic ministry, it's developmental. Uh, right. I'm not trying to just uh, pick the best people to get into my D1 church planning team so we can win a national championship. Uh, I'm looking for the Jesus in a planter like Peyton and Andrea Jones. Who's the Jesus in you, the developmental piece? And then how do we come around that to help call that life out on that planter so that we're not looking to plant a particular style of church? We're looking to see what's on board. What has God given you and right. Andrea that you, we can help you facilitate a process around that, um, that you might create the ministry that only you could do? Um, Otherwise, you know, you've got your standard eight or 10 models and and you pick them. That's the 20 years ago. That's how we used to do it. 20% people might actually succeed. We never knew why. Uh, chances are because they actually fit it and had the had the skills and giftings to do it. Yeah. So all, all we realized years ago is that uh, Jesus has done something marvelous in people and we ought to call that out right. uh, and pour into them and then just facilitate a process that does that. And, and, and like our assessment, Peyton, uh, wouldn't it be great to have an assessment where the gifts of the spirit are actually in operation, where it's not just a static scientific assessment, but, and mm -hmm. we're going to do that, but, but we would actually let the Holy Spirit speak. So when we all leave the room, we would be amazed that Jesus showed up. Everyone's amazed, not, yeah. not just a few people, but everyone. Yeah. yeah. You know, you know, Peyton, you said that you failed two two assessments with, with quantum, you can't fail it because it's developmental. So what, what it is, is not pass fail. And what Mike and I learned early on with the standard kind of behavioral interview assessments that were being used for church planting, which were basically ported over from the corporate world, it was based on a certain model, as Mike said. Those models are, are bound in time and space and culture. And, and so they don't age well. So it's not organic, it's mechanistic. So it has to fit a certain thing. Yep. And and all the research was done 20, 30 years ago. Even some of the new research that's been, been, been done around those kind of things is still now time-bound, dated, culturally bound as well. And so when we started looking at the irreducible core of Great Commandments of Great Commission, evaluating where someone's at in that, now we can say, okay, here's, here's where they need to grow so they can come into whatever it is that God has for them. So you're you're not it's not pass fail thumbs up thumbs down, it's it's a snapshot of where someone's at so they can go where they need to go, and and a lot of times because there's there's certain outputs that those other church planning models are based on, and it's usually size and attendance right. So ABCs attendance building and cash is how the church always measures things. So we're looking at it. Well, what if this person is a great pastor, but they're a pastor of a hundred, or they're a great pastor and they're a house church pastor. So there's 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 no model that fits all that, but 
what we can do is we can evaluate, you know, parable of talents, one talent, two talents, five talents, you know, Hmm. Uh, Mike is a good friend, Wayne Cadero. I think Wayne's like a 15 talent guy, Hmm. right? He can do everything, paddle a canoe, sing, play the guitar, (laughs) share his testimony. I'm a 0.5 guy, you know, I'm a 0.5 guy. So like, what can I bring to the table? What does Jesus have in me that Hmm. I can bring to the table? So if we can figure out where someone's at, we don't place them in the wrong environment. We yeah. help facilitate whatever God's doing yeah. so that a kingdom community can emerge through them. Yeah, so yeah. that's why you can't fail this assessment. It just shows you where to go. Well, you know, it, it's funny. I, I'm so glad to hear you say that because, yeah, I've, I've, I've since thought, man, if someone invents a team assessment based on the APES, it, we're really rocking, right? Because there's those APES distinctions you know and it and it's a team sport church planning but right. the funny thing is i had planted multiple churches by then and and a few hubs to boot and still i failed you know it it, it was funny because they made me take it um one one organization made me take it um because they wanted to bring my church and and it's church plants it was like a little ephesus hub network into the org and um and yet i failed you know after uh bringing this regional network in but you know it it looking at it i, I just want to kind of pull pull away um for a second because you guys in in your book organic reformation you talk a lot about the kingdom um the kingdom of god the heart of the kingdom the message of the kingdom the way of the kingdom the environment of the kingdom um a lot of planners, I would say, don't understand um, what the kingdom of God is. Uh, they they they're planting their church, you know. Maybe they're building their personal empire. Why why the kingdom? Why the emphasis on the kingdom? Well, the kingdom is the central message of the gospel. In fact, the word gospel, euangelion, is a political term, and and basically, it's the declaration of the continuance of rule. So when that angel shows up to the shepherds in Luke 2.8, he declares the good news, the euangelion. So he's the messenger running from heaven to declare that God has the right to rule on earth. And now that is going to start to emerge. And so it's not called the gospel of the the kingdom for nothing. Uh, So the kingdom of God is, is the centrality of Christ's message and work. And ultimately, you know, the teleos, the end of it all, that's what's going to happen. And so we need to understand that we're, we're not just building churches or starting churches or just, you know, making a few disciples. We're, we're bringing people into a kingdom community to live the Jesus way of life in that kingdom. And so, so with that, the kingdom is central to everything about Christian life, faith, and doctrine, and yet it's not really discussed a lot uh, in this day and age. Yeah, the, the kingdom motif is is so big. I mean, there's you know, biblically, there's only there's only two kingdoms: that of the light and darkness. Um, we only operate between the two, and there there's so many of us that are saved in the kingdom of light, and yet we operate uh, based on the values and reality of the kingdom of darkness. Um, and so we're after things that are far less than what Jesus has. And, you know, and the United States is we're not fond of kings. We we threw one out a couple hundred years ago. 
we, we like our president and and I, I I get all that and maybe we don't like our president that's up for, up for debate for the last four or five years so how fun uh, but we don't like kings uh, we don't like the idea of being ruled and we have a loving benevolent king who happens to be Abba and it's his kingdom that, and it is the good news it's the triumphal declaration I, and I, and I love that language that that he's a that, you know the angels announcing there's a new sheriff in town there's a new world order. And it's a kingdom not of this world, as Jesus says later in his life. It's not of this world. And we operate differently. But we're supposed to be, as Paul says in Ephesians 4, 1, we're prisoners of the Lord. And prisoners of the Lord are the most free. And it makes us prisoners of hope. And 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 those of us who are prisoners of the Lord are not in bondage to the trappings of the flesh anymore in the way that we once were. And, and, and so may God help us identify and raise up more disciples who are those people who live towards the kingdom of God, where it's it's Jesus' way in his process. Yeah, I love that. And and just to reemphasize something you said that you mentioned in in the book Organic Reformation that your um the irreducible core is the summation of everything Jesus taught, which was to love God, love your neighbors, and make disciples. And I, I love this quote that you have um, where you said, maybe this is part of the problem in our churches as we seek to motivate our people to share their faith or evangelize. We come up with all kinds of creative campaigns to get people to profess their faith. Let us suggest that if you have to teach evangelism to your church, then it's already too late. You have a heart problem in your church, a love loss. And okay, first off, I love the fact that you guys are a little radical and you don't mind saying hard things. That's awesome. But um, that whole idea there that it's it's about loving God and loving others and that that is the key like that navigates. That should be that like, how do we miss that? How how do we miss that? And what happens? What have you guys found when you put that irreducible core back into the center of everything, including church planning? What happens? Well, Peyton. Um, I have a genetic disorder called cystic fibrosis. So I was born with it. So I, I'm missing six uh, strands of protein on one, uh, one piece of a chromosome. And so that's caused me all kinds of trouble since I've been born. Hmm. I wasn't diagnosed till I was 34, but one of oh, the wow. things, one of the things about this, uh, I mean, this disease almost killed me eight times in my life. But for guys who are born with this, uh, 97% of them are infertile from birth. So my wife, Kathy, and I don't have any kids. So it's a DNA problem. So I'm missing six flecks of protein. And so it's made me not able to have children. So we think there's a DNA problem in the church. Mm. That because we're not embracing this idea of great commandments and great commission. You know, you're right. Jesus said, um, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your mind and all your strength, and another is like it. In other words, equal to it, laid alongside it, can't be separated from it. Love your neighbors yourself. He said, on these two things depend or hangs all the law and the prophets. So the entire Tanakh, the Old Testament, the Hebrew Scriptures, Jesus sums up saying, love God with everything you are and love your neighbors yourself. And then he commissions people to go do that, right, and tell other people how to do that. Teach them how to observe. Teach them how to do it. And so the church has a DNA problem. Therefore, we don't make disciples. 
So you can't separate those things out. They all go together as one. And that's why we call it irreducible core. You can do more than this and be a Christian, a disciple. We don't think you can do less than this and be a disciple mm. of Jesus. So we, we've we got a DNA problem. And we have generations of leaders that have been that have been trained in how to work around the DNA problem. Yeah. So really what we need to do is some spiritual gene therapy mm-hmm. and birth new leaders and new disciples and rework old leaders and old disciples to get them back into that place of love with God, loving out other people. And out of that, as we look at the book of Acts, that's where disciples come from. Yeah. And I'm glad that you brought it back to, you know, uh, just talking about disciples because that is that is the way of following Jesus, right? I mean, that yeah. is the way of the kingdom is is to become a disciple, become someone who who right. wants to be like the master. It's not just, you know, a ticket to heaven. Um you guys in many ways so much of what you wrote um and what you guys started on 20 years ago was so ahead of the curve. I found myself reading going, who else was influenced by this? You know, without giving you guys credit, maybe um back then. I know that's not important, but I just I I've been amazed. I'm like, man, 20 years ago is what a rocked I, like some of this stuff, like like when you're talking about love God and love your neighbors, it took me way too long to figure that out. Right. Like that that took to I really needed a shortcut on that one. I needed like, you know, when you're playing Candyland, you get the little gumdrop card and you you zip ahead towards the end of the board. I needed that sooner. <laughs> but um, look at looking at this. You, you just mentioning discipleship. Okay, again, you guys to me are fascinating on how Hebraic. Like I in this think tank the other day, Mike was just talking. He was just breaking down. Oh yeah, you would study at 15 years old. You know, you would um, apprentice under a rabbi. Which the penny dropped for me. I'm like, oh, that's why Jesus picked teenagers. He was picking them at that age. And then at 30, you know, you would then become your own. That's why Jesus started his ministry at 30. Oh, my gosh. You know, like there's so many things that like the more that I'm learning from you guys, the more so many things are falling, like these pieces are falling into place that we just like, how do we go through life not knowing this stuff? Talk about Jesus as a rabbi and how that changed you guys and how you started to approach um, Christianity or discipleship in general. Well, you know, to be a rabbi, Peyton was uh, was like the premier role in Israel. I mean, to 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 have someone that was a rabbi take a son, and it was only sons, uh, and walk that son into uh, the rabbi's yoke and training was like the ultimate honor. The rabbi's role was was even greater than the dad. Um, and uh, that that was that was the training that you wanted eventually for your son if they could have that. And and we always Tom and I have always equated rabbis like with MIT or Harvard. I mean, it was it was the best of the best that got in. Um, and so when we looked at Jesus, we wanted to ask the question. And this is how Tom and I started at his table twenty some years ago. How was Jesus like the rabbis and unlike the rabbis of his day? And that question uh, would possibly be the answers to a process and what it would mean to be a, a, a modern day rabbi, if you will, someone who would learn to disciple like uh, like Jesus. And so, um, you know, so rabbis of the day, Jesus was unique in that, uh, you know, a, a rabbi of that particular era, um, you know, I, I, I as, uh, you know, a young uh, teen going up to Rabbi Peyton, I would ask you, uh, can I be your disciple? I would apply. 
much like you'd apply at MIT or Harvard. And you would grill me in the Torah. You would ask me questions and to see what my capacity was, my what my gifting, my intellectual capacity was. You wanted to know if I could not only know what you know, but that I would do what you do. Do, do I have the goods to do that? And you would grill me and you might say, and you might discover I'm a nice guy. I, I've got a fairly good mind and I'm I'm decently skilled, but I don't have what it takes. And you would bless me and you would release me to go back, go back to your father and and work in the family trade and the business. And uh, which is where we find mo- all of the disciples. I mean, they're they're apprenticing with their dads and uh, none of them made the cut. None of them were able to do it. Jesus re- inverts that whole process on its head because he goes and finds his disciples. He doesn't wait for applications. He goes and recruits. Uh, he's praying and he's looking for the people that that 12, that community that is going to be able to take the gospel message, live it, and then reproduce it. And so there's many, many ways that we see in Jesus how he lives this process out as a rabbi and utilizes that process in, in a time-bound culture, Israel. And yet he he transforms it in a way that uh, brings what it means to be a true rabbi to life as he's living life with them and and demonstrating really what it means to be a, a good Jew, a good son of God. This is what it looks like to live in relationship with God and do Torah. Yeah, and the the really big piece of the rabbinical thought is that everything integrates into life. That there's there's Haggadah, which is the story or the, or the telling, and then there's the Halakha, which is the commended practice. And so, one of the ancient rabbis said to to talk about separating Haggadah and Halakha is it's you know it's nonsense. You don't even talk about it because to hear it is to do it. And so the thing that Jesus was focusing his disciples on was not getting them just to know a whole lot of stuff, but to actually integrate it into life and live it out. So the idea of the rabbi's yoke, uh, his interpretation of Torah as applied to life, is what Jesus is always getting in trouble with the Pharisees over. He doesn't get in trouble with them over over the 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 Haggadah, the command, the story, the the big commandments of God but he's getting in trouble over how he has them practice those things. And so Jesus says, my yoke is easy. My burden is light. And so the rabbi's yoke, his interpretation is different from that of his contemporaries, the Pharisees. So he stood apart in that way. And so the thing that we're trying to do is for people who are walking with us in discipleship, we don't want them just to know something. We want them to be able to do something, like Mike said. So how do you integrate it into life? So all the all the, the work and discipleship can't be just in case learning. It has to be just in time learning that's applied to life. And so that integration is one of the big distinctions about this. So you have to be proximate. You know, you have to be in, in proximity of your disciples. You have to be in life together to be able to have those conversations about application. It's really not so much classroom-based, although you can use that kind of structure. It's really, you know, what's the real-time learning that goes on as you're walking through life and as you're making application? And, and so that is a big part of what it looks like to bring, bring it into reality. What's it look like to live out the yoke that the rabbi has? Mm. That's good. Which is why Peyton, you know, Jesus, when he's out walking on the water, Peter gets out of the boat 
because you want to do what your rabbi does. Mm. Um, you get, you're going to mimic. So, I mean, if you drink with your right hand and you drink Americanos or espressos, man, we're going to copy everything. Uh, you're going to, you're going to copy everything your rabbi does because you want to live that way. Um, and, and even to this day in, in Israel and in conservative Israel, you'll still see that. So if a rabbi walks with a limp, all his disciples will walk with the limp. They, they're trying to be like the rabbi and they, they want to reproduce that yoke, that interpretation. And so Tom and I learned from that in the West, we have a way of belief that has no bearing on your way of life. That was unthinkable right. uh, in Israel. Um, you, the two merged, which is why, you know, you often hear, you know, hey, I agree with you, Peyton, good message. And, but has, I'm not going to do any of that. I just agree with you theologically. Yeah. And I, I think, you know, for those of you that, that have been listening, you're like, man, it seems like they talked about, you know, these, these different things like organic process and the irreducible core and the kingdom, it's all connected. And this is, this is one right. of the cool things that you guys point out in the book, in the rabbinical process of Jesus, you actually point out that, Hey, you know, for us, we want to make this into a like a packaged methodology that we can sell off of a bookshelf and that's not how jesus was he wasn't like here here's my methods he was it, again it was organic it was transformational it was this is going to take time for me to see a transformation in you that was the rabbinical way i'm investing right. into you for transformation you know i i <laughs> this year i i i started studying like what's the process of jesus because i was getting ready to to write a book about training your team um which was going to be called teamology so if you're listening don't steal that please because i'm going to self-publish it now it's funny because you know uh every time i go to the publisher i've now sworn off published books because the publisher always says, oh, that won't sell. Uh, a couple of years ago, I was like, man, we need to write a book about serial planning and regional networks. Can you imagine six, seven years ago that uh, came out? They saw oh, that yeah. wouldn't sell. Now that's a hot topic, right? So, uh, but but with, with teams, I was going to write this. So I'm studying how, how did Jesus train the 12? And I was fascinated to learn that in his first year, um, he really didn't do much more than hang out. He went to a wedding with them. He, you know, he hung out. He lived in Capernaum. Yeah, they 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 went up to uh, Samaria and he took them on some mission. Got them got their feet wet, you know, and 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 did some of that. But he cleansed the temple, went up to Jerusalem, entered the worship rhythms. So he caused a a, a big stir up there. He went on mission into some radical community. But the majority of his time was spent just getting to know him, eating with him living alongside people, just building relationship. And we're not wired for that in the West. You know, we got, no, I got my 10 point plan and I got my strategy and I got my, it's not very organic of Jesus. Yeah. I mean, it's not very strategic of Jesus yet. The organic way was his strategy. Yeah. And but that's we're very where, impatient. Yes. And yeah, so, go ahead. Sorry. I, I, I was actually, no, I was good. just going to give a summary statement. Like that's why I'm fascinated with what you guys are writing because I, this, to me, this is where it's at. Learning that lesson is where it's at. Well, the modern church planning model specifically puts pressure on us to produce. And especially if there's funding attached to it. <laughs> so somebody's somebody's got a timeline worked out that we have to we have to hit some targets. And and the reality is if you listen to it, you know, you said earlier about 
you know, bait midrash starts at 15 and goes to 30. That's a decade and a half investment. So like how many people are thinking in decades? Mm. Like I'm going to invest in these middle schoolers until, you know, they're 30. And <laughs> so, so it's like, we're, we're not thinking that way because we want the immediate output. My microwave has this button on it says popcorn. I don't want to have to do anything more than press one button, right? And so we're used to this this instant culture and this instant gratification, but investment in people takes a long time. Mm. Uh, some of the people, you know, my my successor here in a few years in in the church I'm currently in, I led to the Lord 19 years ago, mm. and he's been in two church plants with me, and in this church. Uh, he and his wife are going to take over. And uh, I've been, you know, my wife, Kathy, and I have been investing in them for almost 20 years already. And I've uh, got a few more to go and still not going to end that relationship. But but what I'm saying is, is we, we don't think that way. We think Henry Ford mass production. How do I move people through 101, 201, 301, mm-hmm. 401? And then they're done, right? And now they need right. to get to work. Because our relationship, as you said earlier, is primarily transactional. Right. We want we want people to help us in the thing we're doing for Jesus, and not realizing they are the thing that Jesus yes. is doing. Yeah, yeah. I yeah. think apostles realize pretty quickly that people want what you can do for them. They don't necessarily want you. I think Lonnie Frisbee was a a perfect example of that. Right? That they you know, and in apostolics or church planners often feel. You don't want me. And Jesus was, no, I want you. You, like you said, you are the thing. And um, so, guys, look, I know we're out of time. So, uh, real quick, uh, let me just say thank you. And on behalf of the listeners, thank you for coming on the show. I mean, we've just, I'd like having, having dipped in deeply into some of your stuff, not all of it. Like, I, I got a, a book from uh, Tom in the mail that I haven't even, touch yet but i just encountered someone said oh have you read the trilogy and i'm like i'm just i just got the book you know like i'm i'm just getting my feet wet but here's here's the thing like definitely check out dr tom johnston and mike chong perkinson um becoming friends and definitely i i consider them uh, they won't own me, but I consider them mentors from afar uh, at this stage of my journey, really helping me out. But what what I want to say to you guys is um, be sure to pick up uh, Organic Reformation um, as your first uh, port of call. Uh, maybe they have a different answer than me, but that book just rocked uh, my world. So guys, thanks so much for doing what you do. Um, where else can we find you connect with you? If someone's listening, they, they want to, maybe they want to go through one of your assessments. Maybe they want to go through some of the training that you offer. What are some of the, the, the things that Praxis offers where they can connect with you? Well, they can, uh, they can check out praxiscenter.org, which is our website. Um, also Facebook page, Mike and I do a thing called Monday Mentor. Every week we we rotate uh, in a, uh, a post that we do uh, about life and ministry. Uh, TreviumInstitute.net, which is a post-secondary vocational school that we have for training church planters and pastors. Um, and that's where some of the assessment stuff can, can come through. Uh, so those would be a couple spots. You can check out our author pages on Amazon. Uh, those would be a couple of good things to, to get started with us. 
Awesome. And guys, if you're listening, we have links to all of that in the show notes. So be sure to check those out. They'll be there uh, for you ready. And uh, be sure to look out for, uh, you're going to see them appearing, uh, particularly in the discipleship course uh, that New Breed is putting together. You'll see their names all over it. We should probably give them money uh, after we're done for this. But uh, anyways, guys, thanks again for coming on. Uh, on behalf of New Breed Training, want to thank you for joining us. My guest again has been Mike Chong Perkinson and Dr. Tom Johnston, uh, authors of Organic Revolution. Uh, Revolution. Uh, I mean, hey, we did start turning the temple money changer tables over, didn't we? Right. Sure. We started. We started poking the bear at the end there. But uh, Organic Reformation and Praxis. Be sure to check out everything that we said today. Thanks again for joining us, and we'll see you next time on the Church Planner Podcast.